With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Exclude sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See Metro by T-Mobile.com. Coming to you live from the Peter Kanko Studios in Southern California. Welcome in. Let's do it. Let's do it, Jay. What do you got on tap for us? Well, today we have Jim Boomer Gordon, of course, from Sirius XM NHL Radio. Uh, you know him very well. I know him very well. Hopefully the listeners know him very well. Um, we both frequent the show and have been uh, talking to Boomer for many, many years. And we're going we're gonna to sort of flip the script on him this time around, DB. Instead of him interviewing us, we are going to interview him and get some of his hot takes on um, some of the NHL headlines and maybe just get to know Boomer a little bit better. Most people don't really probably know Boomer very well other than his hockey take. So we'll, uh, we'll try to delve into some of that. If you can uh, forge that out of him, John, that'll be a, a, a big, uh, a big ask there. Cause he's uh, he usually stays on the hockey track, but uh, yeah, good friend to you mayor's minutes. Uh, I guess every week on serious second in season. So he's been a, a real good friend to both mayor's manor and uh, TFP. All right. Well, Peter Kank. Yes, he is. Thank you very much. Uh, I look forward to talking to Boom here shortly. Uh, first, though, Peter Kanko. I mentioned the studios there at the top. Uh, this is a former LA King. He was drafted in the third round of the uh, 2002 NHL draft. He played in Kitchener. He also played, uh, well, that was his junior hockey days. He played in quite a while in Manchester and then spent some time playing overseas. He played uh, in the Czech Republic. He played in Austria. He played for a team over in Slovakia as well. And of course, um, the Kings have some players overseas right now with five of their prospects playing in uh, Germany. We can get into maybe that a little bit later. But recently, DB, we had Quinton Byfield, he of the first round pick by the LA Kings at the 2020 NHL draft. We had Quinton Byfield on the show. He made reference to the fact that Martin St. Louis 
uh, was one of his favorite players growing up, and we, we made sort of a joke about it. We put a poster out that had him, uh, Byfield that is, standing side by side with Martin St. Louis, a Twins poster from an old movie reference to uh, Schwarzenegger and DeVito. Uh, Marty liked the tweet, and he tweeted out uh, a, a retort to that. And so uh, we were able to dial up uh, Martin St. Louis, or we were able to dial up his number here. Uh, why don't we bring him into the show and see what he has to say? That's going to be awesome, Jay. Let's do it. Well, we have a special guest on the line right now, Dennis Bernstein. Uh, Martin St. Louis. Marty, thanks for joining the, the program, especially on such uh, short notice. Uh, no worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, I, well, let's start right from uh, from the other day. You put out a fantastic tweet. I mean, it's an early contender uh, here for Tweet of the Year. I thought it was great. You replied to the Byfield uh, tweet. He was on the podcast recently and talked about you being one of his favorite players growing up. And uh, your your rebuttal or your retort to that was, of course, that you know he was you were his favorite player because you guys were the same size when, when he was ten. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if anybody. You know, watch him play now, and, and and would never guess that I was his favorite player growing up. Obviously, he's a big boy, uh, probably a different player than me, but uh, found some success, obviously, and uh, able to you know get picked high in the draft. And now he's got a hopefully a nice career in front of him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, let, let's just talk a little bit about you know what what you're up to these days. I mean, playing days behind you now. Do you do you still find time to watch the draft or pay attention to what's going on during the yeah? No, season? I mean I. I have three boys that uh, play hockey. Uh, I've coached them all. Now I'm just coaching the younger two. My oldest boy is, um, is up at the national team program. Um, so I'm definitely involved with the hockey and uh, the day-to-day stuff in my boys' life. And I get on the ice with them every night with practices, and we get to go play games on the weekend. So it's been a nice, smooth transition for me in terms of just staying involved with the game. And you were doing some special teams work, if I remember correctly, uh, with Columbus. Is that right? I did that uh, two years ago. Uh, they wanted somebody full time, and I just uh, I wasn't ready to to jump in a hundred percent, so um, I stepped away. Yeah, the Kings had something similar in Los Angeles. Pierre Turgeon was was doing that stuff for a while, uh, and you know didn't didn't move on with the full time role either. Um, what about the, the Cup run in Tampa? I mean, obviously, I think we have to ask you about that right now. What was it like uh, watching that, or, or how much of it did you watch? No, I watched a lot. Uh, I, I like to watch the NHL. It's such a good product right now. And I know they had to deal with being in the bubble and stuff. But, uh, you know, for me, the Lightning, I feel they've been close the last few years. Kind of like, uh, remind me a bit of the Capitals a few years back. We're just, uh, you know, a really good team. but can't, you know, find a way to, to, to go all the way at the end in the Stanley Cup Finals. And uh, I think they were due. I think it was their turn. And, uh, you know, the, it's a team I think that's going to be in the mix for a few more years size was always such part of the, the narrative when it came to you. Do you think maybe you came along uh, in an era too early? I mean, recently we've had Blake Lazat on the, the program here. with the, He's with the LA Kings and one of their prospects, Aiden Dudas, will be coming on the show soon as well. But did you come along maybe just, you know, 10, 15 years too early? I mean, you know, it's definitely a different brand of hockey uh, now than when I played, but I, I wouldn't change a thing. I got to win a cup and play over a thousand games. Um, who knows? Uh, if I play in this different era, uh, you know, what kind of uh, path and adversity I face and uh, does that uh, change, uh, you know, my mindset and, and what ends up happening, um, you know, throughout my career. So for me, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it was different, but I wouldn't change a thing. Marty, 2004, how would your team do against this team? Oh, uh, I don't know. It depends what rules we'll be playing in. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think both teams, uh, uh, you know, were well-balanced. Uh, and, and obviously being uh, uh, backstopped by uh, some great goaltending. We obviously had to be bowling for us. And, 
um, you know, their guy this year and two Russian goalies, but, uh, uh, you don't go anywhere without, uh, you know, that, that, that position, uh, uh, uh being solidified. And, uh, and we had that and they certainly had that too. Marty, um, you won the Bing trophy three times in a row and kind of people kind of disrespect that award, but what's your feeling? I vote for it. But what's your feeling about winning the Bing that many times? Well, when you first, the first time I won it, you know, you, you don't, you come to realize that, uh, you know, there's some pretty, pretty special players on that trophy. Uh, and then to me, to be alongside those guys, uh, it was such an honor to be able to do it three times. And, and honestly, like the, the, the guys that are on there, guys that are usually producing a lot of numbers. So if they're doing that, there's a big comp- uh, competing factor. Uh, and, and to be able to compete and stay out of the box at the same time, uh, sometimes it's easy to cross the line. So um, for me, there's a lot of composure that's involved in that in uh, in that award, along with talent, obviously. And, and, and but uh, to be associated with some of the, the winners, um, you know, Lady Bing, it's it's an honor. Your old coach John Tortorella is still doing it. When you see John explode in some of those press conferences and the 30 second press conferences, what's going through your mind when you see John react like that? He just cares. He's passionate, you know, and. You know, that's one thing I liked about Torts is you always knew where you stood. There's emotion involved. And uh, I feel like he, you know, he brings the best in this player because of it. And sometimes, yeah, it probably gets in his way a bit. But, you know, you uh, you can't you can't ask him to change, you know, what made him so successful in this league. And sometimes, yeah, it's, it's, it's being involved with the media sometimes. It gets the best of him. But, uh, you know, there's a guy with passion that cares. And I like it. Marty, there's a lot of young players that are listening. I mean, you talked about earlier coaching your boys and that sort of stuff. What what, what would you say is probably the best advice that you can give to young players who are trying to come up in the game and the, and want to have a long career, whether that's a college career, a junior career, yeah. or even making it to the pros? Well, for me, it's never about being the best. It's about trying to be the best. You know, if you try to be the best uh, and you um, – you know, if, if if what you say in your action line up, usually you find yourself in some pretty good situation. So, you know, just just keep pushing at trying to be the best. You know, it's not it's not as important. It's not important just to be the best. Well, Marty, you were certainly one of the best of your era, and we uh, appreciate you jumping on here. And and again, uh, fantastic tweet. We'll see if it holds up for tweet of the year. But it was a it was a great one. Keep the chirps coming. We look forward to hearing more from you. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Marty. There you go. A guest in the first period, DB. That's uh, that's a rarity for us, but I felt it was important to try to sneak Martin St. Louis, and if he's willing to come on the program, we need to this sneak him in. The last minute of we need to sneak in, in a Hall of Famer, a three-time Bing winner, and a Cup winner. Absolutely. And a guy who's a role model now for a lot of players. Who, and I love your question about would he have been even more productive in this age because the, sh- the small players are getting more uh, run in this league. Yeah, absolutely. So good to connect with him. Happy to hear that, uh, you know, he's he's having some fun coaching his kids and staying connected to the game. And, um, you know, short conversation with Marty, but he certainly had some interesting tidbits to pass along. And we uh, we thank him for for hopping on the show. We'll always make time for a Hall of Famer, DB. Speaking of that, on the flip side of the break, we have another Hall of Famer, Jim Boomer Gordon from Sirius XM. He's going to join us to talk about all things NHL hockey.
Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. And uh, DB, I have to tell you, I'm really excited about our next guest because the shoe is now on the other foot. For years, I've gone on SiriusXM and had the chance to be interviewed by Jim Boomer Gordon. And now we're going to turn the tables on him. We're going we're gonna to interview Boomer. So uh, welcome to the show, Jim. Yeah, I like it the other way. The guy who asks the questions is in control of the conversation. Here, I mean, I don't know what you're going to want to talk about, so... Well, uh, I guess I'll do the best I can. Okay. Well, I have, uh, in, in typical mayor fashion, I have a long list of questions. We'll get to some of them. Some of them we won't. And uh, Dennis will also chime in with his list of questions as well. Uh, why don't we just start? I've never asked you this before. Where does the name Boomer come from? Because I only call you Boomer, but, you know, your real official government name is Jim Gordon. Where did the Boomer come from? Uh, I think, I don't think I got it till I was at SiriusXM. Um Believe it or not, as a kid growing up, my nickname was Slim, Slim Jim. Now, I outgrew Boomer. that <laughs> Boomer. nickname. <laughs> you were not Slim. When were you Slim? Uh, do you know what, John? I was a basketball player growing up. and uh, Really? My senior year of high school, I was 6'3", 170. No way. Um, so that's about as thin as a guy could get. You're an MMA fan. Not many guys that are 6'3 can make the 170 weight classification without cutting. Yeah. Uh, but I, I could do that. I was skinny as they came, but univer- four years of university took care of that. Um, but, but yeah, I was Slim Jim uh, up, up until uh, my later life. So, Slim Jim, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's like Sid Crosby gets the nickname Sid the Kid. Well, eventually, <laughs> you're not the kid anymore True. Um, because you're too old. And I just wasn't slim anymore, so I needed something new. <laughs> you didn't self-gloss, though. Please tell me you did not come up with Boomer on your own. Oh, no. No. I'm not even a huge fan of nicknames. I could go without. I think it was Lachlan that named me, and then I think it just stuck, and then I haven't shook it. So, <laughs> And I, I think I know tons of people now who don't even know that my name is Jim. <laughs> right. I don't know the last time someone outside of my family actually called me Jim, to be honest with you. So... Uh, it's my new reality. Well, it was very weird when I said, welcome to the show, Jim. Like, it just didn't feel natural. My, my body sort of did a weird shiver. But, uh, okay, Slim Jim, here we go. Uh, let's jump into some NHL headlines. Obviously, a big one there in Toronto uh, over the last couple of days. Jumbo, uh, Joe Thornton signing there. You are a big San Jose Sharks fan. Um, what do you think about Jumbo signing with Toronto? Uh, I don't know, man. I just... It just doesn't feel right, to be honest with me. Listen, the only person whose opinion on this that matters is Joe Thornton. And he has his reasons why he wants to be in Toronto. But, I mean, do I like it? Does it feel good? Does it feel clean to me? I mean, I just thought he was a perfect fit for San Jose. I think he's probably the greatest player the franchise has ever had. Uh... I think if anywhere in the last 15 years they win a cup, he's, it goes down as one of the great runs between team and player ever. And I don't know, maybe I'm sentimental, maybe I'm romantic. I feel like you should walk off into the sunset um, the proper way. I'm not saying you have to go out on top, but going out as a Maple Leaf, doesn't this feel like, you know how like Emmett Smith retired as a St. Louis Cardinal and, I think Jerry Rice was a Denver Bronco. Um, and then, you know, 10 years after they retire, 
you look back and you see a highlight of Joe Thornton in a Leaf jersey and you go, oh, I, I forgot Thornton played his last miserable year in Toronto. I just, I feel like he loved California so much. He loved being a shark. And I don't know. He probably was a Leaf fan growing up in Southern Ontario and wanted this to happen. But the, the best part of me feels like it's not going to end well. And then you look back when it's over and you just go, why didn't Thornton just retire a shark? Yeah. I mean, Marla went there and it sucked. That's, and then they had to trade like... the third year to Carolina for a draft pick. And and then you wish, okay, why did Patty leave? And then Patty came back and then he left and then he came back again. I don't know. It just, it feels dirty, if you know what I'm saying. See, well, what doesn't make sense to me, Boom, is that um, they brought back Marlowe. Like, if you're going in a different direction, you're going to make the team younger, I get it. But why bring back Marlowe and not Thornton? That To me, there's a disconnect there. I don't understand why you need one guy in the room. It would be all or nothing to me, right? Well, I don't ever understand the Marlowe thing in the first place. Everyone got all lovey-dovey about it. Oh, he's coming back. Yeah, you know why he came back? Because he left. <laughs> and if he didn't leave, he wouldn't have come back. He left. He took the cash. Toronto gave him a three-year deal, gave him like 19 million bucks. And now you're going to open your arms to him? It makes no sense. It's like when Alfredson left Ottawa to go to Detroit, and then everyone got so emotional when he came back to be part of the organization and give him the key to the city. You know why Alfredson came back? Because he left. He didn't want to be in Ottawa anymore. He wanted rid of you people, so he went to the Red Wings because he thought he could win there. And now you're thinking how sweet it is that he returned? That's like the whole jilted lover thing. The guy left you for another woman, and now you're excited when he's coming back? No, he left you. Sever ties, be done. So, I don't know. I feel like three years from now, Patrick Marlowe is going to come back to San Jose for the fourth time, and we're going to get excited about it again. It, again, dirty to me, in well, my opinion. Well, boom, I have to tell you, I have now changed my whole opinion about this because you – Listening to you, it brought back memories of Mike Madonna, one of my all-time favorites, of Mo yeah. going to Detroit. And so when I first heard that Jumbo was going to Toronto, I was like, oh, that's cool, you know, just because I love Joe Thornton stories. Uh, but now you're making me think about it, you know, in a completely different light. And I was so uh, just, oh, that whole Mike Madonna in Detroit thing, it just did not look right seeing him in the red and white. Um, so I guess, yeah, now I'm now I'm anti-Joe Thornton in Toronto. So thank you for that. Um, well, didn't Madonna only play about twenty games before he hurt, hurt his wrist? Yeah, he hurt his wrist, and yeah, unfortunately, uh, he didn't. He did, the one game that he would have played in L.A. He didn't because of the uh, the wrist injury. Yeah, but still, I mean, it just it was it was terrible to see him in a red and white jersey. Just did not make any sense. But I meant what I said. If Thornton wants to be a Leaf, if he's always dreamed of being a Leaf, then he should do it. But I just it's it's hard for me to see this one having a happy ending. Um, I don't know. Maybe they can make him feel a little more at home. They can give him the C and then strip him halfway through the season. He'll feel like he's back in San Jose and everything. And who knows? Maybe he doesn't love the Sharks like we thought he did. Remember when they Come did the on. whole... Come on. Remember when they stripped the C from him? And then remember he said some things about Doug Wilson publicly. I Either directly or he intimated at him, and it felt very uncomfortable. And you thought, okay, what are we doing here? But I don't know. Maybe it's... The, you, you guys are the Kings fans. Maybe things were never the same after that 2014 season. I know they got to the Cup a couple of years later, but that was so nasty. To get a 3 nothing lead 
and then have it fall apart the way it did. It just had a horrible feeling to it. But game seven, know. game seven, morning skate at the Shark Tank boom. You had me on the show immediately after practice, and I told you after the morning skate, I said the Kings are going to win this game. You can tell by being in the locker room. You went into the Kings locker yeah. room after the morning skate. They were so calm. They were so relaxed. Obviously, they are playing with house money, but uh, I think it was... Um, uh, Logan Couture, who said he was about to throw up. He he admitted it in front of the media uh, about the nerves that were in that room. That room was not ready for Game 7, and, you know, we all know what happened. But uh, anyway, let's move on. Uh, well, I think... Oh, I, go ahead. Is, isn't that the game also? Didn't Drew Doughty trash Thornton after the game and said he could look into his eyes and see fear? Not when that happened. I don't, I don't, that may have been after they fought. <laughs> so I don't know when that was, but uh, uh, oh, Drew. You know, here's the thing: Kings fans think that Drew Doughty and that the guys in the room um, that they hate the Ducks because the Kings fans hate the Ducks more than anybody else. But if you talk to Kings players through the years, they hated the Sharks more than any other team, even more than the Canucks, and they hated the Canucks quite a bit. Yeah, but you know what's interesting about that is that. Uh... They all were part of the World Cup team a couple of years ago, whatever that was, 16 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. that was here in Toronto. And it was Doughty, Thornton, and Burns who came out together, the first three on the ice, every game for Team Canada. So whatever animosity there was between those players, and I'm sure it was genuine, they were able to compartmentalize it for that couple of weeks of hockey when they were teammates. Well, you put the maple leaf on and it's like everybody's punch drunk, you know, they just don't know what to do. They live their whole lives waiting to play in that, you know, just like the world juniors, but uh, don't get me started. And they're local, by the way. I mean, <laughs> Doughty's from London and Thornton's from St. Thomas. That's like half an hour, 20 minutes away from each other. So you think they could be buddies for a little bit. All right, Slim Jim. Next topic. Taylor Hall. Yeah. He signs in Buffalo. He's, uh, he's making his way around the NHL. What's your take on Taylor Hall? Okay. You guys should have forwarded questions to me. Like I have, I I could have tried to summon something. I have no thoughts on this. None. I have hoped for a while that the truth would come out on this one. Um, it, it it seems inconceivable to me that two years after a player wins a Hart Trophy, he has to take a prove it contract. People who win the heart don't have to prove anything. They've already proven it. They won the heart trophy. So when free agency day opened up, um, I believe someone put out a tweet that said there are 10 teams that are going to make a pitch today at Taylor, and he's going to Zoom all 10, and he'll make his decision from there. I later heard as many as 25 teams inquired. And I don't know what the truth is. It could be 10, it could be 25, it might be three. Um, because he didn't get term, he didn't, I, I mean, when Taylor Hall and Alex Petrangelo are the two showpieces of that free agent crop, and their ultimate return was separated by $54 million, one guy hit it and one guy didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just incredible. And I know one guy took a long term and one took a short term. But Petro hit it out of the park. Taylor Hall didn't. And if you're not going to get the big money, at least you're going to compete for a Stanley Cup. Oh, wait, he's not doing that either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so word on the street was that multiple teams did make offers, but a lot of them were in a price range that Hall didn't think was befitting of a Hart Trophy winner. And maybe there just weren't that many competitive teams out there with the cap space to make a commitment. But we were here in Colorado. We're here in Nashville. We're here in Boston. And then when you ultimately take a one-year deal with Buffalo, 
He's a very charismatic guy. He's a good speaker. He's likable. So when you hear him talk about it, he is going to sell you that Buffalo was at the top of his list. He's excited about being a Sabre. Listen, nobody's that excited about being a Sabre. I know Jack Eichel's excited about being a Sabre. And if you've been uh, to Buffalo, Boom, nobody's excited about going to Buffalo. Well, you said that, not me. I'm not going to fight you on it. I'm just clarifying there. Um, But, you know, I was actually in my car driving home from my cottage when my phone started blowing up. And I'm like, Taylor Hall Buffalo, Taylor Hall Buffalo. And I'm like, this can't be right. I had to pull off the highway and look it up. And it turns out it actually was right. So I hear people saying, well, if it doesn't work out, they can trade him at the deadline. Trade him at the deadline? What are you talking about? He just had a chance to negotiate with 31 teams. Why would he be looking for a chance to move at the deadline? He, he could move right now if he wanted to. So clearly he thinks that there wasn't a single offer long-term that made enough sense. So he'll take a one-year deal and try and light it up. But we don't know the market's going to be any better next year than mm-hmm. it is this year. In fact, it likely will not be. So uh, you asked the question, and I wish I had a better answer. My answer is I don't understand it. I think a great story will be written one day uh, about how it came to Buffalo. But right now, I just don't have an answer. I, I'm as surprised as you or anybody else. It could have been a king for that price. If the kings wanted to... Uh, speed up their rebuild, they could have made an offer. They had the cap space. Well, three times six nobody, would make a lot more sense. No, nobody offered Hall more than four years, and he wanted a long-term deal. And only two teams came to the table on a one-year one deal, and Colorado was substantially lower than Buffalo. And, and boom, here's the thing. like If he goes and plays with Jack Eichel and gets 60 points in 60 games, it helps his argument for you know MVP, Hart Trophy type of contract. I think that – and. We haven't talked about this. He loves to coach. He really likes Kruger. He liked him in Edmonton. He's part of the reason going there, but I agree with you. Nobody, when they go to free agency, when they make the list of teams, who has the Sabres at the top? No one. Well, it's great that you can blue sky everything there, Dennis, but two things. <laughs> Number one, yeah, he played for the coach, and they sucked. Okay? They missed the playoffs. The coach got fired over Skype, and Taylor Hall got traded a year later. So I, I, I'm not there for that argument. And the other one, your point is well made. Play with Jack Eichel, kill it, set the marketplace for next year. But the argument I made on my show is that he's in a precarious position. He's 10 years removed from the draft now, so he's 28 going on 29. He had the opportunity in Arizona, and it went bad. And, okay, there might not be a Jack Eichel in Arizona, but Buffalo ain't exactly the 77 Canadians either. Uh, if, if this year doesn't go well, if he doesn't tear it up, if if Jack Eichel doesn't make him better, if he doesn't make Jack Eichel better, you're now pushing 30. You've now struggled with three teams. Right. Uh, you haven't proven you could win anywhere. And then I think every team has to look at you at an arm's length and say, you know, why are we committing to this hockey player? Uh, do we really think he makes us better? Or, or do we really think his best year's are still in front of him as he encroaches his 30th birthday. So, yes, could it work out well for him? Okay, but it could go bad too. And I, I just think Buffalo, the, the big irony for me in Buffalo is that, like people say, timing is everything. And in life and in hockey and everything else, uh, Taylor Hall is now making less money than Jeff Skinner. Uh, a year ago, Skinner comes into a contract year, kills it in a contract year, and gets $72 million out of the Sabres. 
And now a year later, we're in a pandemic and nobody can get paid. And Taylor Hall, who's a Hart Trophy winner, gets $8 million as opposed to 72. So such is life in the big city, I guess. But timing is everything. One more last thing. On this. And boom, to your point about not winning. So let's say it was $6 million to play in Colorado. So you don't want to go play with Nathan McKinnon on a Stanley Cup contender for a couple million less? Like, so to your point about wanting to win, there's your argument for this player. Like, what's going on? You had an offer from Colorado, play with that team, win a cup, possibly, and you're going to get numbers playing with that player, right? Yeah. I See, I don't know that to be true, Dennis. Clearly, you understand the situation better than I do. I didn't know who was offering what. I didn't know what was available to him. And especially when you consider what neighborhood of 30% of these players' salaries this year are being withheld anyway due to a lack of revenue. So the $2 million you lost going to, not going to Colorado becomes $1.4 immediately just in the take back. So I don't know what drove him. I mean, what, he's played 14 playoff games in 10 years? Um, you, you think he would be incentivized by winning at this point and playing with great players. So if that's true, I mean, only he knows. And I like Cash just as much as anybody else. So I don't know what went into it. But I, I yeah, it, it's, if you were placing betting odds on future homes for Taylor Hall, I think Buffalo would have been about 200 to 1, yet some people thought it might happen. Well, we have some other fun stuff to get to, Boom. But before we do, one more player to ask you about. The Patrick Laine situation in Winnipeg. Just uh, any any hot takes on that? Yeah, I went over this. I think it's terrible. I just, in this economic climate, I don't know how you move a $7 million hockey player. I don't know how you do a deal with a $7 million hockey player. I think his agents are trying to hold the Jets hostage. Any deal Shevel Day off would do on a line A trade, he would lose and he'd lose it badly. And I mean, this goes back to moving Jacob Truba for Neil Pionk. When the player does this, you put the GM in a real bad position. And I feel bad for Shovel Day off because he's tried to do everything right building that organization. And I get it. You made the crack about Buffalo earlier. Um, Winnipeg might not be the most desirable market of 31 teams in the National Hockey League. And I get that. But it just seems like this is a yearly thing we're going to do with Liney. I think it's impossible to move him right now. What I would do, what I would try and create a relationship with the, the, the agent and just say, listen, let's finish the year. At the end of the year, he'll be restricted free agent. You can move him. He can negotiate his next uh, contract with his next team. Because I think standing here on October 17th or whatever the date is today, I think trying to get a trade done would be next to impossible. Um uh, You'd have to take dollars back, and the likelihood that you could find a team that A, wanted lane, line A, could take them, and then had players you wanted that they'd be willing to give back, I think that's impossible in this marketplace. So I'm going to guess that it, it does not happen. I, I think line A is going to be in a position where he needs to play out the season as a Jet and deal with it in the off season. But it just feels like it's every year with, with Winnipeg. It's either Truba or it's Bufflin or it's mm-hmm. line A. Uh, and I, I just feel bad for, for everybody involved there. All right, so looking forward, uh, being the proud Canadian that you are, we're, we're hearing these grumblings of potentially a Canadian division, at least maybe to start the season. Does that excite you to, ha- to have the, all the Canadian teams playing in the same division? No. Why, does it excite you? No, it doesn't excite me at all. I'm just curious what your take was. No, I have no interest in, in like that whole 
national thing about hockey. I, I like making fun of Canadian hockey teams. I think the fact that no team's won, Canadian team has won the cup in 27 years is one of the great stats in sports history. And I laugh as it increases by one every year. Um, so I, I, I think for some reason as a Canadian, you're supposed to cheer for Canadian teams. I, uh, what I would cheer for is this freaking pandemic to be over and get back to normal. I'm watching college football as I talk to you guys, and there's a few thousand fans in the stands. Uh, and, and as unsafe as that feels to me, it almost makes me feel better, just like a sense of normalcy returning. So I have no idea how they're going to get the season done. I think I read last night we're close to 50 days in baseball. John, you might know this, without a single positive test. Uh, and they're not doing it in a bubble. So I'm hoping it can be done. And I hope we can have a season, and I hope it starts close to New Year's. But it just feels to me like there's more questions than answers right now. Uh, if we have to do a Canadian division, uh, I don't know how you do that. I guess you'd have more back-to-backs, and teams would travel and stay for a couple games and try and play as many games in a season as you can. But uh, nothing about it feels overly comfortable to me. I don't know what your division would look like. I'm sure it would probably be the same as the Pacific minus, say, a Vancouver or Calgary or something, uh, but the California teams and maybe Arizona, Colorado, I don't, I, Vegas, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you would swing that. But, I mean, if you're talking about a Canadian division with no border crossing, you're basically selling me on the idea that each fan base of each Canadian team would only see them play six opponents all year. I mean... You could love Toronto-Montreal as the greatest rivalry, which it is not, but how many times could you watch them before you get a little uh, Habs fatigue, if you know what I'm saying? So if it's all that's there, I understand that. But uh, again, until the league explains how they're going to go about this, I, I do believe there's a lot of questions still left. All right, so how about a lighthearted topic? You're a big fantasy hockey guy. Uh, just talk to us a little bit about fantasy itself. When did you get involved in fantasy? What do you like about it? What's your sort of approach? Give us the, the dime store uh, story on you and fantasy hockey. All right, let's talk some Byfield before it's over, though. Uh, fantasy hockey, well, I play every fantasy sport. Um, but no, they just came to me one day about 14 years ago and said, we got a guy who wants to be the fantasy guy, which was Rob Higgins. And we'd like you to co-host with them. And it ended up being about a 13-year run between Rob and I. And it was a fun show to do and fun to be a part of and fun to play fantasy hockey. Um, and then Rob had put out a new album last year and a tour, which the tour ultimately didn't happen because of the pandemic. Uh, but he just had too much committed on the... John, you're a rocker. You love your rock. Sure. Uh, I think a lot of people know this. Rob's uncle is Getty Lee from the band Rush. So Rob plays bass, um, inspired by Getty. And he plays a lot of music, and his music had to take priority over the show. But yeah, fantasy just became a big part of what I did, because Rob and I started the show, and the show was popular. And the numbers on the show ended up being really good. So they wanted us to keep doing it. And we have. And I have fun with it, because... um, you know, when you talk at hockey every day, uh, sometimes it can get a little stale. And 
turning it into a fantasy conversation. I just think changes the vibe a little bit from time to time. Yeah, for sure. The other day I heard you talking about third string goalies uh, in your on your yeah. fantasy team. I was like, wow, I didn't even really know that that much thought gets put into it. You know, I just sort of when I play, I rank like you know five or ten players and then just let the auto draft take over from there. But you're well, you're, you're the, deep. The thing, the thing that the reason for that conversation, John, is that I think this year is going to be a year like any other in that. I, I think we've already started to usher out the era of the 60-start goalie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you were in L.A., so you saw what Jonathan Quick was capable of over, over the course of the season. He wasn't quite Martin Verdure in terms of being capable of starting 70 a game, but he could get pretty darn close if you needed him to. Uh, and then, you know, analytics came in and said goalies playing back-to-backs is a bad idea, and we tried to bring down their starts, but this season... I think if we're going to play a condensed schedule with lots of back-to-backs and try and squeeze a season in, I, I think this year more than ever. I, I, if you look at the 31 teams in the NHL, there's only about seven or eight, maybe, that have a true, true number one who's going to get the lion's share of the start. And the vast majority of the other teams are legit tandems. And a bunch of them are teams, I can't even tell you who the starter is. I mean... Who's the starter in Vancouver? Is it Holpe now, or are we doing the the, the Demko thing? I think it's Holpe. Um, I, I think in, until you know Demko takes the net, I would say that it's Holpe. I would think DB. I don't even know what's going to happen in Los Angeles. To be honest with you, oh, it's a I know 50, you still love split. quick, but oh, it's a fifty fifty. I was talking to some analytics folks uh, who said, "Sorry, what's the backup name? I'm brain cramping." Cal right Peterson. Now. Apparently, Cal Peterson's analytics are so far off the charts great that people are wondering how this kid could be this good. And they thought, oh, at the start, they thought it was just a small sample size. But the more he played, the better his numbers got. So I think the Kings have no choice to see what he can do this year as well. Mm-hmm. Well, 50-50 split. Uh, but back to Vancouver. DB, what's your, what's your take on Demko and, and Holtby? Demko had three good, year, three good games. I'm not. I'm not sold on that guy. He's 25 years old. Maybe. Maybe this is the time. But against the Vegas team that couldn't score, so I'm not sure. Hey, boom! Like, what about Vegas, man? Like this owner. Like when he sees a shiny new toy, he wants it, right? But there's all kinds of. <laughs> you can't tell me that chemistry in that room is going to be like everybody's going to be on the same page. You, you trade a hard and soul guy like uh, Nate Schmidt. You bring in a, a, another high price player. They still have weakness down the middle. Um, you got to have factions in the room when it comes to goaltending. What do you think happens in Vegas? You know, Dennis, Bill Belichick has rules about how you run an organization. He calls it the Patriot way. And one of his rules is uh, at no time can one of your five highest paid players be a free agent. He believes how you build organizational chemistry is you draft, you develop your own players, and as they get better, their role increases, and as their role increases, their compensation increases. That's how you get invested in the player, and that's how the player becomes invested in the organization. Belichick's biggest fear was that you commit to a player, ask them to give everything they have to your club, and then when it's time to hand out the gold, you give it to some guy who's never spent a minute in your organization. So I agree with you 100%. Can you look at it from an A plus B equals C perspective and say, okay, adding Alex Petrangelo makes the Vegas Golden Knights a better team? Sure, I can get there. But you also had to take a lifer in Nate Schmidt, 
and a real well-liked guy and kick him to the curb, run him out of there, run him to Vegas. And before you did that, you tried to run Flurry out, but you couldn't move him. So you were taking two of the most popular guys, two originals, and saying, we got to punch you out of here because we got to make room for this new shiny toy that you talked about. And I'm with you. I can't get there. It, it seems inconceivable to me that just adding Petrangelo makes them appreciably better because you've created an environment where everyone, I'm sure, feels expendable. And I don't know what that does to team culture, but I can't help but think, and I think it's going to be hard on Petro because he knows he has to go into that room and replace the popular guy as well. And I just, I, 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 I just think Vegas is so incredibly aggressive. Uh, every year going after that guy, and they get Pacioretty, and they get Stone, and they get Martinez, and they get Laner, and, and now they get Petro. I mean, at some point, I, I think when I looked at it, I think they got $76 million committed to the cap already for next year. So now they know every time they want their new bright, shiny toy, they, they got to move an old scratchy toy out to make room for it. And the more and more top heavy they get, the harder it's going to be fill out, filling out the back end of the roster. So I think it's going to bite them in the butt. And the other thing that's hard is, is that they've moved out so many pieces and prospects in order to do this. You already look at the development of a guy like Nick Suzuki in Montreal and you think, okay, you, you got Pacioretty, but look what you lost. They got about a one or two year window to make this all work because they're pretty old. And if they don't, all of a sudden they're an aging expansion team and they're starting from scratch. So I, I don't know. If they win a cup, it works. If not, it could turn ugly on them. So look, uh, we, we're going to get to Byfield. Don't worry, Boom. And I, and I know you've, you've gone on an extended run here and thank you for your time. But I have to ask you about co-host and chemistry, primarily because you've had a number of different co-hosts through the years. And Dennis and I think that we have a pretty good chemistry Who's the co-host that you think that you had the best chemistry with? Well, I don't particularly have chemistry with anyone, I don't think. <laughs> and I think that's been my problem. Like, there's lots of people at my work that don't like me and don't like working with me. So Come on. I'm kind of the guy. That's not true. Oh, yeah. No, that's tr that's true. Scott Lachlan won't be within 100 yards of me. That's been our reality. <laughs> um, but You guys so can at least agree on music, though, right? Boom. What's that? You guys can at least agree on music, I would think, right? Is that is that not really? No, okay, all right. You're more than uh, Justin Bieber. He's more of like Rat and Cinderella. It just not doesn't work. Well, he hasn't liked a band that's made a record since 1990. So Fair I mean, <laughs> at some point you gotta evolve a little bit. But so I I think there's always been a belief at my work that they kind of let me do my own thing. Like I've never even really had a producer. I create my shows. I make my shows. I run my shows. Uh, and they leave me alone to do it because I think they're afraid whoever they pair me with will end up disliking one another. That's been one of the weird things about working from home. You actually miss your coworkers, which is weird because I used to go crazy going into work every day. It's like, get me out of here. Now I kind of want to go back, but uh, I don't know. The grass weird, is always greener in the other guy's yard until you get the water bill. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. All right. You wanted to talk about Byfield. Let's get to it. How about Kaliev, too? You you have some thoughts on Kaliev. So how about both of them? Well, Kaliev, just because he played with my nephew in Hamilton, so I went to a lot of the games, and I just really enjoyed watching him play. And um, I, I don't know. It, it's tough. I'm not a scout. I just think there's an art to putting the puck in the net, and only some guys can do it. And you can find warts in a guy's game. But if he can put the puck in the net the way Kaliev can, 
and I don't know how he fell to the second round. I just don't. And it might bear itself out that the scouts were right, and I'll leave that one alone. Uh, the, the Byfield one, I'm, I'm just really fortunate. Uh, I live in Toronto where a lot of top young kids play. Uh, so I've had a chance to watch Byfield develop since he was 12 or 13. I mean, the, the Ducks drafted Jamie Drysdale. I was watching Drysdale since he was 9 or 10. Um, so it, it's really fortunate for me to watch these kids play. But I would say with Drysdale or with, with Byfield, uh, he has a skill set and had it at a very young age. People have paid attention to his size. I mean, he was that big when he was around 13. Uh, I remember he was 13 or 14. I stood next to him in a rink at a tournament, and I'm 6'3", and he was every bit as tall as me. I think I was looking at him, and I just thought, wow, this is this is a big kid here. But when you saw him on the ice at a young age, he, he had a long stride. He could really skate. He did a lot of things right. People question his work ethic from time to time, but he did a lot of things for his team. He killed penalties, you name it. And watching him in his minor midget season, that's your 15-year-old season up here, I just thought, okay, I don't know where this goes once he gets to the OHL, but any team in the NHL draft is going to have to swallow hard if you're going to pass on this guy. And I'm not knocking the Rangers because Lafreniere was clearly number one. But when you look at the Kings... I think when you're picking it too, I think the question you have to ask when you're assessing who you're going to take is ceiling. What is the ceiling? And I just think the ceiling on Byfield is limitless. To find a guy his size who can skate the way he does and finish the way he does, uh, I, I just, I think the Kings have a magical piece of clay to work with. And it's real hard for me watching this kid the way I have for as many years as I have. I just, I, I struggle to see it not working out. And to have a mentor like Kopitar that's going to be there for him, uh, I, I just think that the LA Kings have a, a special player who they can mold into something real, real good for the future. Well, Boom, I'll also share with you that off the ice, we had him on the podcast uh, about a week or so ago, threw a couple curveballs at him, and he was able to take all of them. I mean, he, he, he did phenomenal. So uh, he's, he's a great kid already, and we look forward to having him here in Los Angeles for a long time. Thank you so much for your time, Boom, but we can't let you go without one question about the UFC. You're a big MMA guy like I am. Uh, any fights coming up that are going to excite you? What do you think about the Connor fight coming up in January? Anything uh, here over the next couple of months that's going get to you, get you excited? Am I a- Alone on an island when I say I could care less about Connor. I, I mean, think you are, yes. <laughs> really? Yes. To me, it's like he used to get away with stuff, and he could manipulate his audience, and people cared, and he baited the hook, and he let people play along. With Connor and me, I'm like, you know what, buddy? If you want to fight, fight. And if you want to set a fight, then set the fight, and I'll watch. But until then, just stop. Like, how long are we going to talk about this guy until we have a fight for him? Are we doing the Poirier thing? Yeah, the fight that's fights happening. That's what I'm referring to. Yes, I, I'm with you, though. I don't, I don't care about all the outside, you know, shenanigans and I'm retired, I'm not retired, and Pacquiao. I don't care about any of that. But, no, we have a fight. It's happening. Yeah. I think it's January 23rd. And this, is a, this is a fight. Now we can talk about it. Don't tell me about boxing or don't say you want this or you want that or, you know, okay, I'm going to go fight this guy. I mean, I think he sort of held the division hostage for a while. 
and there were some fights that needed to happen. I felt bad for years for guys like Tony Ferguson, for sure. who kind of just had to sit around because he was, you know, playing his Connor games. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it. That's another sport, by the way. I talked about this on my show. I think the UFC is suffering from fighting in a box. I really do. You know, John, you love fights, so you'll watch a fight just to see two guys fight. But one of the great things about the UFC is everything that it entails, mm-hmm. which is Vegas, yep. which is the beautiful people, which is Showtime. I mean, if you're going to get a UFC pay-per-view, sure you want to watch the fights and you want to watch the title fights, but you also want to see who's in the front row. You know, is is Drake there? Is, is Tom Brady there? Is whoever else there? Um, is Boomer there? I just You keep threatening I to come back to Vegas think- for a fight and you're never there anymore. Oh, I'll never make it back to Vegas now, man. Are you kidding me? Is it? You're done? Forever? Well, when when are we going to open up the borders? I don't even know when that's going to happen. It could be years. Okay. But um, hopefully it's three months, but it could be three years. Who knows? No, I definitely need a road trip. But I'm just saying, you know, people are looking at the NBA and how bad their ratings are. Well, people like basketball, but they don't love basketball. They want to tune in to see, you know, if like Rihanna's in the front row and things of that nature. When, when it's just basketball, it's less entertaining. And I think the UFC is suffering from that. I like everything that comes. You, you and I have been there together so many times. When you get in the building at a UFC card, there's a buzz there, man. Yep. It's like, wow, I'm a part of something really cool. Between the music and the intros and everything that comes with it, you feel like you're part of a spectacle that's kind of larger than life. Mm-hmm. When they fight in an empty box, it's just a fight. And there's nothing wrong with just a fight if you love a fight. But it, it's it's far more sterile than the, the, what they can package up on a normal UFC card, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I've said for a long time that being at Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final is very exciting. It's extremely exciting. One of the most exciting things in the world. But I will tell anybody that will listen, there is nothing like being in Vegas in that 10-minute window right before the main event starts. It is unbelievable. The You can feel it. You can really feel the energy in the building. And when those two fighters, when their music hits and those guys make the walk down and then Buffer does the introduction, it is one of the most special things that you will ever experience in your life. Uh, I've never even smoked a cigarette, so drugs are off the table, but it must be what a high is like because it, it is it is the thing that you will chase for the rest of your life to uh, to try to get that once again, which I think is probably why I keep going back to UFC, you know, 15 years later. Boom. It's been fantastic. Uh, you only wanted to give us 12 minutes. You went three times longer. We thank you for that. And uh, enjoy your cottage and your privacy, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Be well, guys. Thanks. Jim Boomer Gordon. We'll talk about that when we come back from the other side of the break. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. All right, third period. Uh, that was an extended session there with uh, Jim Boomer. I need to rephrase that, DB. That's Slim Jim uh, Gordon. Was not expecting to get that much time with him, but uh, that was outstanding. I mean, so many hot takes. I don't even know. I'm going to have to go cool down for a minute. 
he's a great host, John. I mean, there's a reason why he's been on the air so long, and uh, it was great to touch base with him. And you know, he just he's just so opinionated, right? I mean, and he and he doesn't agree with your opinions most of the time. So it's great to get that you know, point counterpoint with him. But he just you know, a guy who's been with SiriusXM a long time, and there's no surprise, he's just uh, fantastic and and one of the most knowledgeable guys in, on radio. Well, I think your last point there is very important, DB, because it's not only that he's opinionated, but he is so intelligent uh, and, and just so educated at the game of hockey, does his research, pays attention, not only at the pro level. He talks a lot about pros, but he also knows what's going on in junior leagues and, and other leagues around the world as well. And so he can talk prospects with you as well. Uh, it's just a very, very smart hockey guy and someone who I think is a lot of fun to talk with. Absolutely. Now, he did mention one thing, or we, we talked with him about the Canadian division. Let's just touch base on that for a second, DB, because um, from what I think we're all hearing, it sort of sounds like the NHL is looking at multiple uh, different options. Could be a 48-game season, could be up to a 60-game season, probably starting around mid-January-ish, uh, playing into late July, and how they're going to set this thing up, at least initially. We'll have to see if the whole season plays out this way with a Canadian division. I don't know about you, but I've heard uh, two different scenarios. One is where there would be three U.S. divisions and another one where there would be four U.S. divisions. I think if you go in the four U.S. divisions, you would end up with, on the Pacific side, you'd have L.A., San Jose, Arizona, Colorado, Anaheim, and Vegas. And then, of course, you'd have other uh, divisions as well, like Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, St. Louis, Dallas, and Columbus, representing more of that central. And then the south, if you will, uh, Tampa, Florida, Washington, uh, Nashville, Carolina, Boston, which is weird. And then you would end up with the Rangers, the Islanders, the Flyers, the Devils, Buffalo, and Pittsburgh. Um, any any thoughts about that potential setup? I just think you're going to see a situation like baseball where you have Vegas come into L.A. for a week or Southern California for a week and play four games against the Ducks and the Kings. Um, look, if we can't get people in the building, John, it's not going to happen anyway. So that's, that's, that's point A, and everything follows from that. Um, it's out of necessity, and I agree with what Boomer said. It's not optimal, but uh, if you want to have a season and you want to have games played and Stanley Cup awarded for another consecutive season, then you do what you have to do. It, it comes down to two things. Fans in the buildings, number one. Number two, and Boomer mentioned this as well, um, what happens with the border? And I think uh, we're calling this on a Saturday. I think that uh, on Friday of this week, uh, the Premier um, uh, Trudeau said, like, I don't see the borders opening anytime soon. That if you're going to play, and that's the case, you're going to have a Canadian division. And, you know, while, you know, you might run out of steam with the Toronto-Montreal rivalry, I'll sign up for 12 games between Calgary and Edmonton mm -hmm. right now. So I think there's pluses and minuses, but I think that those are the two things, John. What happens with the border uh, restrictions, and can we get team uh, people in the building? Because as, as you mentioned uh, a lot of times, this is a live game sport. And mm -hmm. we can't get to that point. I don't know what the point is in playing because it won't happen again. We won't have bubbles maybe for a Stanley Cup final or maybe for deep in the playoff run, but these players will not sign on for a bubble. It just, it just won't happen. Well, I don't know if I would completely agree with you about one point that you made there. Well, two. First of all, yes, I, I would agree that I would sign up for uh, Vancouver versus Toronto. That'd be a phenomenal um, series. You know, kind of get a little bit of East Coast, West Coast, even though it's not exactly the same. Uh, but... What I would disagree with is I think the NHL is uh, has a deep incentive to find a way to get this season completed. 
Um, the question that I want to know and can't seem to find an answer to yet is what is the magic number? And the magic number ties to one thing, DB. It ties to the TV contract. They have to play a minimum number of games in order for this to be the end of the TV contract. Whether that's 48, whether it's 50, whether it's 55, 60, it's somewhere in the 48 to 60. That's, that's what I hear. Uh, but they have to hit that magic number of games played in order to honor that contract and be done with it. And this reminds me of, speaking of UFC, which we talked with Boomer about, this reminds me of why e uh, um, the UFC is on ESPN every weekend right now is that they, in order for their contract to be uh, fulfilled, they had to put on a certain number of fights. And so for a couple of months early on in the pandemic, when they weren't able to do that, they're now playing catch up, not only to get the fighters fight so the fighters can get paid, but also so that UFC can meet the contractual obligations with ESPN and their deal. So same thing. The NHL has to get in a certain number of games and Bettman made a, a, a one slight reference to it in a I don't have the quote in front of me and I'm sorry but um he made one slight reference to it in his quote the other day when he was talking about uh getting the new season in so I'm sure that number will will come out and will be part of the narrative at some point yes it revolves around television of course it's about television and you're right they gotta get to the end of the contract so they can bring in more money and more revenue so it's going to be very very it's going to be I think on some levels might be more frustrating than just what happened in March where we're just waiting to resume the season. Like we're talking about a whole nother season and there's so many different parameters and you have to have 31 teams playing. And don't forget Seattle's coming in the following season. When do we do the expansion draft? There's so many questions marks as we sit here in October. And it's, uh, I think at some level it's, it's kind of scary that there's a prospect that there's a option E that we don't have a season. Yeah. Well, let's not talk about that, DB. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that doesn't come to pass. Uh, you know what, though? This has been a great one-two punch. We had uh, Blake Lazat on the show, and then we had uh, Jim Boomer Gordon. That's a nice one-two punch. We've been doing a little, a little uh, one-two punch action lately, but we're going to come back with a three-four, and I'll just leave it at that. So uh, there's more Kings of the Podcast to come. Clear your schedules, as I said recently, and uh, we'll be back soon. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. 
Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. 